I would like for you to imagine this scenario. Sometime in December, when we have the in accord that Mr. Horchek gives, where he announces the 2022 feast sites for the United States, and that's always the most popular in accord that we have. Let's say at that time you plan to transfer for the 2022 feast. So you or you and your family pick a site. And let's say that it's going to be a site where you're going to do a road trip, you're going to drive to it, and you pick a site that is at least a thousand miles from your home. Now I picked that number because that's about how far it was for us this year to drive to Rapid City. But from the moment you select your site, from that moment on, you are not allowed to look at a map in any shape, manner, or form. No road map, no uh, map apps that you could look at, no Google Maps, MapQuest, no ways, nothing like that. And then later you make your housing, and you can, let, let's say you want to book a house or a condo, so you make a reservation, and you have the address. But once again, you cannot look at the map. You just have to go there and find it. You can't ask directions. You just have to rely on your own internal sense of direction to know where to go. Come feast time next year, when do you think you might need to leave in order to get to the feast on time if you have to find your way around the country to get to that site? Some of you may never even make it to the feast if that's the case. It illustrates how much we need maps in life. We have to have them. You ever think about how often you use a map in one way or another? You know, back in the old days when we would be transferred to a new church area, one of the first things that I, and I suspect all other ministers would do, would be to buy one of these thick atlases of the city that we were in. And if you received a call, somebody needed to be anointed, you had their address, then you had to go to the back and check the index, and it would say it's on page 18, it's sector C4, and then you have to try to find it, and then you have to try to backtrack to find the best way to even get there. It's very uh, intensive that way. Today, you just open up an app on your phone, you give an address, and this voice comes back to you. It says, okay, let's go. And then if you make a mistake, they will fix the mistake for you, recalculating and it will tell you how to go back and get back on the right route once more. I know going to the feast, I poured over Google Maps, planning my route to Rapid City. We were going to Wichita, Kansas for atonement. So I looked, how long will it take? What is the best way to get there? Where will services be held? Where can I book a hotel near where the meeting hall is? And then going on to Rapid City after that. I spent a lot of time looking over maps. What's the best way? What's the quickest way? What's the most scenic way? Are there things to see along the way that will make me want to change, change the route a little bit? Now, here's the thing. If you use a map of any kind, it implies that you have a destination, and you need to know how to reach it. That's what maps are for. It's not maybe the sole purpose of maps, but... You need to have information that you do not have otherwise, and you need to get to a destination. And we place great faith in our maps, great faith. You can look at a map 
And you may have never been to a place before. You don't know anybody who has ever been there before. You've never seen it. And yet you believe it exists because it's there on the map. And so it has to be. And you have great faith that if you follow that map, you will make it there. And there are all kinds of maps. There are aeronautical maps, cadastral maps, climatic, geological, historical, linguistic, nautical, political maps, physical maps, relief maps, topographical, star maps, street maps, thematic maps, train track maps, uh, public transit maps, winter uh, uh, weather maps, world maps. All of these serving a very important purpose for the humans who use them. Now, we just returned, as Mr. Burnett said, from observing the third festival season of the year, Trumpets, Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and Last Great Day. And our eyes were lifted to look at, once again, the road ahead and where it is going to take us, our destination, and God's intended destination for all of humanity. That is where God wants us to end up. That's the destination that we have been given when he began to work in our lives and to call us. The vision that God shared with us of what his destination is for us. And it's magnificent. And we go to the feast every year to spend a lot of valuable time looking toward our destination. But it does leave us with a big question. How do we get there? How do we get there? This feast, uh, I think, also reminds us daily of the stark contrast with the world around us. What is humanity's view of its destination? Do we share, do all humans share God's view? Of course not. If you went out to interview people on the street, what answers would they come up with if you asked, what is your destination? A few months ago, I was watching the movie Forrest Gump with my teenage grandchildren who had never seen it. I was a little surprised when they said they'd never seen it, but then I realized it's nearly 30 years old. So we sat down and watched it. One reviewer wrote this about Forrest Gump when it came out. He said, Forrest Gump becomes a film that discusses the challenges of whether life is determined by chance or destiny, and is there any meaning to be found in a world with no clear purpose? Wow. If there is no clear purpose, then what is your destination? What is the destination of humanity? What map do they use to get to whatever destination they come up with? You know, there was a part in that movie where Forrest visits his mother who is dying, and his mother says, Forrest, death is just a part of life, something we're destined to do. That was about as close as she came to understanding that at least one destiny we know of is death. She said, I didn't know it, but I was destined to be your mama. I happen to believe you make your own destiny. You have to do the best with what God gave you. And then Forrest Gump says, what's my destiny, mama? And she looks at him and says, you have to figure that out for yourself. Later, toward the end of the movie, he's reflecting and he says, I don't know if we each have a destiny or if we're all just floating around accidental-like on a breeze, but I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. 
Well, I thought that was a very powerful and poignant illustration of how lost people are. You know, a map doesn't do you any good at all if you don't know where you are to begin with, and certainly if you don't know where you want to go. I recently read a couple of statements that also fit into this. One was that more than a billion people have downloaded Google Earth. More than a billion people use Google Maps. They are very comfortable tools for people to explore the planet in high resolution. And I looked it up, and that quote came from 10 years ago. I don't know how many more billions have downloaded it since. But then another quote by an author named Mishka Shibali, he made a very interesting observation. He said, there is no Google app or a map, Google Maps app for your life. There is no clearly marked destination, a blue dot with an illuminated purple line showing you the correct path, where you should go and how you should get there and when you have deviated from it. And he said, in that really, and he uses a crude euphemism, but basically he was saying that's really bad. Well, he's right. There is no Google app for life, and the sad thing of it is there's nothing more important than life. So the world is struggling to find its way. Probably if you did that interview, some might say, well, the destination is to go to heaven. Okay, where's the map? They might say, well, well, it's easy. All you have to do is uh, just give your heart to the Lord and you're saved. Billions have done that. But how does that square? with Jesus' words when he said, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. There is a way. There's a way there. But he said it's, it's difficult, and he said there are few that find it. There is a way that leads to life, and it can be found, but you absolutely have to have a map. There's a lady named Burl Markham who was the first person to fly solo nonstop from east to west, from Britain to America, uh, solo, fly, fly solo. She wrote about her adventures while living in Kenya. She spent most of her life there in her memoir, West with the Night. And in that memoir, she makes several statements about maps and flying. And one of her comments was very simple about the nature of maps. She said, without me... You are alone and lost. There's a pilot saying, here's what a map is. Without that map, you're alone and lost. Well, brethren, God has not only given us a destination, but he has provided the maps. And not just one. There are at least four. Four maps, different types of maps. Actually, I'd like to credit Al Garrett, an elder here in Dallas, for putting this thought in mind a couple of years ago in a sermonette. It really stuck with me then, and I hope it will stick with you today as I expand a little bit more on it. God's maps are there, but they're a little bit different in some ways. They show us the route to take in life, but they don't calculate the time that it's going to take us to get there. Uh, We don't know that. They don't always show us what's just around the bend in the road either. We don't always see that, but his maps always tell us how to negotiate what might be around the bend. Also, his maps, while they give us direction to our destination, they also warn us of wrong routes, the ways that will get us lost. 
Now, brethren, I think it's something that we all sense very deeply. I hope we do. But as time goes on, we're going to have to work very diligently to navigate life. We're going to have to stay on the right road. And we live in a world where Satan is going to do everything he can to get us to turn aside, to get us to turn down a different road that may look right, but will lead to death. I hope we can use these maps or stir to do that to God's intended purpose for us so we don't get lost. Let's look at the maps he's given us. They're not in any particular order of importance. We need all of them, and they all work together. Uh, let's start with the one that we used most recently. The first map that God gives us is his holy days and festivals. And you know, any map that, that you see has a legend, and it explains what the symbols are. And that is what God has given us. God's holy days and festivals provide those for us. And a few months from now, we're going to start looking at it all over again. And we'll walk through this in the year. And it's one of the greatest gifts that God has for us is to keep his festivals and holy days, to remind us of what they are and to interpret the symbols for us. The Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread obviously talk about Christ's sacrifice to cover our sins and to give us life followed by our response, which is a commitment to put and keep sin out of our lives. Then at Pentecost, we reflect on how God has given us His Spirit to enable us, to empower us to do that. And through His Spirit, He makes us a part of His body, the church. Feast of Trumpets pictures Christ's return to save the world from its own destruction. Atonement. We have, of course, the two symbols in the Old Testament that are interpreted for us on God's map of Christ dealing with Satan, putting him away, and then beginning the reconciliation with humanity. Then the Feast of Tabernacles, Christ's millennial rule, and the government of God set up on the earth. And then finally, the last great day, picturing the resurrection of all the dead and their opportunity for salvation. We have this map that tells us what has been in the past and what is lying ahead in the future, closely entwined with the holy days are all of the other prophecies. All of the prophecies in the Bible connect in with the holy days in one way or the other. So at every feast we keep, we are checking the map, if you will. If you are baptized, God's festivals remind us of where you've been and where we are and where we have to go. If we're not baptized, looking at that map tells us where we have to start our journey. And they remind us, lest we get distracted, this is God's map for eternal life. This is where we're to be going and where we need to stay focused. Map number two. Let's go to John chapter 14. John 14. Beginning in verse 1, at the Passover, that last Passover that Jesus kept on the earth here, he said in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, and there will be troubling times for sure, but he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Why? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, a destination. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, 
that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So map number two is Christ and his example. That's our second map. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we see him, if we know him, if we understand the way of Christ, we have that map. We have the map of the way. It starts with baptism, and it starts with that commitment, and then it follows by walking that way. At that Passover, Jesus said the previous chapter, chapter 13 and verse 15, after the Passover, he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So the foot washing was one way he did things, and it was a way of teaching, and he said this is an example of what? Humility, service, following Christ's example. Now, is the foot washing the only example that he gave? Well, of course not. We should be striving to follow his example in all things. And what was his example? Well, here, here, here's your map. Right here, read, read. It, it, it's, it is the source of what we know and understand about walking in that way. It's found right here, studying Christ's life, studying his words, is studying that map of how to walk. Let's go to Matthew 19, Matthew 19 and verse 16. Matthew 19, 16, the story of this young man who comes, who apparently had some understanding of God's destiny, because he came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? How do I get there? How do I get there? And so Christ went on to explain, well, you know, you keep the commandments. And after that was over, the young man said in verse 20, well, I've done that. What do I lack? What do I lack? Jesus said to him, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, you know, if you want to be mature enough to make this trip, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Follow me. I am your guide. I know the way. He was basically telling him, here's where you are. And now to get to where, from there to here, this is the road you have to travel. Verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It was too steep of a price, too steep of a road. You know, Jesus was showing him a topographical map, if you will. A topographical map shows the changes in the contour of the land, the, the height the elevation uh, raises that you will encounter. I did a four-mile hike during the feast, and since I was in the mountains before I left, I checked out a topo map. I wanted to see, and there were some parts where those lines, every 10 feet of height or, or depth, there is a line. And some of those lines were really close together. And when you're reading a topo map, you know that is really steep. 
that's going to be a little challenging. That's going to be a little hard. Christ had said, my road is narrow and difficult. And sometimes it's a steep climb. And the young man didn't want to take that road. He just didn't want to go that way. He did not want to follow the map that Christ had given him. So he had shown the way. Christ showed him the way. And the fact is, Christ had a pretty steep route to follow as well. Christ had to negotiate the toughest, the toughest route in life. And he has shown us how to do that. Now, there's a great lesson here. A map only shows you the way. It doesn't climb it for you. It doesn't walk it for you. But at least it shows you the way. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. Verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Follow his steps. That will get you to the right place. He knows how to get us to the destination. Notice the very next thing he said, though. What were those steps? Who committed no sin. He tells us how to do that. Nor was guile found in his mouth. He tells us how to conduct ourselves that way. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rightly. If we're going to negotiate the the, the route to the destiny, we have to follow in his steps. You might say, well, that's pretty heavy. It is. But that's the way to the destination. Is it too much to ask? Is that too hard for a mere mortal, a mere human being to walk that path? No, not if we're sticking to the map. And not if we are sticking to the path. Verse 25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We were lost. The world is lost. It's just wandering around. One going here, one going there. Following the advice of Forrest Gump's mother, you have to find your own destiny. Well, that creates a mess, doesn't it? But if we follow the one who knows the way, We'll be okay. You know, Romans 6, 4, don't have to turn there, but it says, We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, even so we should also walk in newness of life. We walk in a new path, a new way. You know, Albert Einstein made a statement one time. He said, You can't use an old map to explore a new world. You can't use an old map to explore a new world. Baptism puts us on the path to a new world. But we can't use old maps. We have to follow this one of Christ's example. That is our new map. The third map that we've been given is right here. It's God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not every day, not every single step on the road, but every now and then there's going to be a bend in the road that we round and there's going to be some persecution. That will happen. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, 
Continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able they they're able to give the guidance. They can't do it for us, but they're able to show us the way. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's the right way. Now, if you get off of that, here's, here's how you get back on the right way. Here's the truth, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's nothing more important than this. You know, the Word of God also, uh, it, it shows us the way, but it also shows us the wrong ways. The Word of God is very good at pointing out, don't go down this road. Don't go down that road. The Bible is full of stories of people who went astray and why and how to avoid it. You know, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul wrote at length here about the, the things that overthrew Israel in the wilderness. You might say, I could give you a little test real quick. List five things that overthrew Israel in the wilderness while you're turning here. What were those things? Lust, idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Christ, and complaining. Do those things still exist today? Do they trouble people today? Well, of course they do. He goes on to say, in verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. So in God's map, we, say, we see the way of righteousness, but then we also see the way of unrighteousness. Don't go down this road. Watch it. This road is a dead end. This road will get you lost. They were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. So they, the, the, these things are, help, are to help us. That's why God preserved them. He goes on to say, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do we think we can navigate toward eternal life? Do we think we can navigate every single day in life without God's help at all? Without following his map? He said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. On the road of life, we're going to face a lot of temptations, things that are designed to take us off the route. We're going down the highway to the kingdom of God, and there are billboards all the way that are flashing lights and advertising things tempting, such as what you have to fill in the blank. You have to fill in your own blank. What are the biggest areas of temptation? We all have them. But those billboards beckon, just turn off, follow this road, go this way. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. He'll show you the road away from that, that you may be able to bear it. God's Word will show us how to escape those things, but we have to read the map. We have to read the map. The map won't bear anything for us, but it will show us the way to bear. And then the fourth map that we are given, simply God's people, the church, our brethren. We have many tremendous examples in the Bible and in modern life of 
people of God who have already navigated that road, who have navigated life according to God's way. You know, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ is the one we look to, but then there are others who have done a good job of following him and follow the examples and the footsteps of those who have already followed the map, those who have walked in his steps. Yesterday, we had a funeral up in Sherman, Texas, of a deacon there who, who died during the feast. And the comments that were made by people who worked at the company where he worked, the Ford dealership, for 51 years, there were a lot of people there from that dealership, and one spoke on their behalf, and they talked about his example. And then the example from church members, and so many comments made about he and his wife's example over the years. Now think for a moment, if you will. Think for a moment. Is there anybody who pops into your mind that you can say, they have really set a good example? That's somebody I can look to and say, you know, They've walked that road. They are walking that road. I suspect every one of us would have somebody in mind, somebody who's been following the map very well. And it may be in particular areas of life where they are Christ-like in their love or their patience or their endurance or their ability to encourage or their faith or their, their, their service, being true to their word, being people of peace, having wisdom, humility. God's church is full of people who are living examples of how to walk in Christ's steps. Very important. We were at a wedding just before the feast. During this wedding afterwards, the best man was giving a toast. And this, the best man was not in the church. And he was speaking about the groom, and he said some, some nice things. And one of the things he said was, you know, this fellow, what stands out to us is he, he is a man of his beliefs. Well, that was nice to hear, but then almost immediately we all burst out laughing because of the example he said. He said, we could never make him eat pork. And we tried. He said, we always tried to get him to eat pork, and if we tried to sneak it in on him, he would get really mad. And uh, they all laughed. Of course, we, we, we laughed uh, very much, but it was, it was a good example, a good example that really stood out to somebody else. There are things much more important than pork. In life, though, and we should see others be looking to others who have been walking that road, who have the experience, they're using the map and admire them. And then when we do, we need to take it to the next level. What do I mean, take it to the next level? Well, I, what, what I mean by that is we can look at examples and say, boy, that person sets a great example. The next level is taking it to where we... we look at ourselves and say, okay, what are they doing that I need to do? How are they walking in Christ's steps in a way that I need? What can I learn from them? They are real-life examples. What are they doing that I need to do and then to study and emulate those examples? That is something so important in terms of using the map that God has given us. Notice 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12 Paul wrote to Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 
set an example so that others can look to that and learn from how it works in real life. Examples show how somebody is following the map and how that looks in real life. And we can all set examples. Timothy was a relatively young man. But it doesn't matter how old or young somebody is if they're doing what is right and if they're setting the right example and if they've learned some things that others can look at and follow from. And that is a type of map. They are maps, living maps of godly behavior. I quoted Burl Markham earlier. She also wrote about maps. She says, a map says to you, read me carefully, follow me closely, doubt me not. Read me carefully, follow me closely, doubt me not. Isn't that what God has given us in the maps that he has provided? Another author, Mark Jenkins, noted, maps are essential. Planning a journey without a map is like building a house without drawings. It just will not get what you want. Well, brethren, we all used, I'm I'm sure we used physical maps to get to and from the feast. And once we were there, God had us focus on our destination, his destination. We know where God wants us to go, where he wants us to be. Well, you could put away, you probably have. If you're back home already, you can put away the maps for getting to your feast site until next year. But now is the time to pull out and to be pouring over daily the maps God has given us that show us the way to his kingdom.